Hello, welcome to Fake Redhead Talking Fast, the podcast where you can hear an over and opinionated Scots lass share her thoughts. I'm Cassie, the fake redhead in question, and let's get to it. Hello, welcome to the first non-introductory episode of Fake Redhead Talking Fast. If you have made it past my little introductory episode, then thank you, and well done. With a little crowdsourced help from a writer pal and podcast fan, I decided to make this first episode about one of, if not my favourite book, Northanger Abbey. Let's begin. As I mentioned in my favourite section on my introductory episode, Northanger Abbey is the last of Jane Austen's books to be published, after her death. But ironically, it's the first of her books to actually be completed in full. It follows the heroine, Catherine Morland, as she is invited to Bath with childless family friends, the Allens. Though Mrs. Allen spends a lot of the time of the first few chapters decrying the fact that they don't know anyone in Bath, Catherine meets and dances with Mr. Tilney, a charming, funny young man who she, prom- who she promptly loses for the next few weeks. Mrs. Allen finally runs into an old school chum and her daughters, who actually know Catherine's brother James because he's with their brother John at Oxford. Isabella Thorpe, the eldest girl, bonds with Catherine. Isabella is more worldly than Catherine and encourages her in her novel reading and discussion of boys. When Catherine finally re-meets Mr Tilney along with his sister, they are all generally really big fans of each other. I don't like to give things away, but after some misadventure, I don't think it's any great surprise that she does end up at Northanger Abbey, home of the Tilneys. It's been around for 200 years, guys. You've had the time. Why do I love it? An array of reasons. When I first read this, I was between the ages of 14 and 15. YA fiction at that time was dominated by hardcore 16-year-olds who saved worlds and brought down governments and stuff like that. Now, I was many things as a child. Daft wasn't one of them, but precocious definitely was. And I had a I'm-not-like-other-girls streak a mile wide. But despite this, I knew that overthrowing fascists wasn't really going to be in my hemisphere. So I still wanted a heroine that I could see myself in. So when I read an 18-year-old who was still as wide-eyed as myself, didn't have, didn't have it all sewn up. It wasn't difficult for me to easily get along with her as a character. Another reason I love this book is because it was one of the first times that I read a love interest that I wouldn't actually mind sitting down for a cup of tea with. Mr. Tilney is lively, fun and charming. But the, the, there is a school of thought that he does patronise Catherine and to an extent I suppose you can understand where they are coming from and I you know in a way he maybe does but it's not because he's a man and she's a young girl well 18 but you know what I mean he's going to become a clergyman for goodness sake he's hardly a wicked rake um but I always read his wit as kind of a compliment to Catherine Does anyone agree that one of the most patronising, condescending things that a person can do when they first meet you is to dumb down their humour or speech because they think you won't get it? And I'm not going to make this a man-woman thing because it happens to both. People who automatically assume that they are more intelligent and then go out of their way to prove it are universally awful. But I digress. The book itself is entirely a parody of late 18th century early 19th century gothic literature. My copy, a rather beautiful cloth-bound Penguin Classics edition bought for me by my grandmother, has a fascinating introduction that discusses Austen's 
way of looking at that brand of literature that was around her. It's got it's got many other you know bits in there as well. But I would just like to read a quick quick excerpt. Uh, Northanger Abbey and Books, number one, The World of Romance. If critics have toyed with complicated theories of revisions, insertions, the possible merger of two parodies, brackets of Bath novels and of Gothic novels, it is because they suspect the book does not hang together as it stands. While leading 19th century admirers of Austen mostly warmed to Northanger Abbey, their successors often complain that it moves jerkily between the social comedy of, of the bath scenes and the gothic burlesque of the shorter sequence at Northanger Abbey. Or they protest that the burlesque has no place in a novel elsewhere trying to be naturalistic. By being in patches self-consciously literary, or so in the consensus runs, Northanger Abbey belongs with the juvenilia Austen wrote in her precocious adolescence in the early 1790s, rather than with the sustained naturalistic masterpieces generated in her maturity, Mansfield Park, Emma and Persuasion. Like Fanny Price of Mansfield Park, Catherine Moreland of Northanger Abbey is first described as a child. The changing coherence of Fanny's thoughts as she enters a world for the first time, the adult world that should be, is one of the most remarkable technical feats of Austen's later mature writing. It takes Catherine almost the length of the novel to grow up, a fact signalled by her discontinuous, rather unreflective inner life. Again, comparison with Emma and with Anne Elliot of Persuasion, heroines decidedly grown up when we first meet them, can make Northanger Abbey itself seem immature, like its heroine. But criticism of Austen's six novels has dwelt too narrowly on the heroines, as if each one functions comparably as the vessel of the reader's consciousness and a reliable guide to the novel's world. Such a notion bears hardest on Northanger Abbey, in many respects the most individual of the six. It's obvious that Jane Austen could see the world around her very clearly, especially in terms of literature. And many of the Gothic novels that were common and popular followed a formula. A young girl, normally a princess or some other brand of gentry who gets kidnapped or sent to live with distant relatives who are usually awful or absent. The heroes are brooding, angry people who sometimes only soften for the young girl, but equally as often remain awful the whole time. And there's a secret door or a ghost or another young woman or a body in the dungeon and they all take themselves far too seriously. And Austen's rejection of that is obvious in the writing of Northanger. Her heroine, she makes very explicitly clear, is of no importance from an unimportant family from a very tiny, boring village. Her hero is a funny, polite, kind man who is very open and pleasant, and there isn't an offensive age gap between them, which seems really common, with Catherine being 18 and Henry... Tilney being 26. By Regency standards, well, we forgive Jane Eyre. I feel we can forgive eight years difference. It's a soft, gentle read, but it never insults your intelligence. Of course, it was written in the late 1700s, so you do have to put a little bit of work into the language. But a lot of the themes, the situations, are still things that we can point to and say, that happens now! And one of my favourite examples of this is a moment in chapter six. So Isabella and Catherine uh, met in the pump room, stop it, uh, like usual, uh, to have a chat and to have a look for Mr Tilney, and because it's just kind of what you did. Uh, Mr Tilney, who has, of course, pulled a bit of a disappearing act, so no luck on that front, 
But Isabella does notice two young men looking at them. She thoroughly castigates them to Catherine. For heaven's sake, let us move away from this end of the room. Do you know, there are two odious young men who have been staring at me this last half hour. They really put me quite out of countenance. Let us go and look at the arrivals. They will hardly follow us there. Away they walked to the book, and while Isabella examined the names, it was Catherine's employment to watch the proceedings of these alarming young men. They are not coming this way, are they? I hope they are not so impertinent as to follow us. Pray, let me know if they are coming. I am determined I will not look up. In a few moments, Catherine, with unaffected pleasure, assured her that she need no longer be uneasy, as the gentlemen had just left the pump room. And which way are they gone? said Isabella, turning hastily round. One of them was a very good-looking young man. You see that? A pair of best friends out getting eyed up by two lads and kind of making an effort to escape them, but like one of them thrives on that attention. And which way are they gone? Isabella cries. One of them was very good-looking young man. I'm sorry, but no one can accuse Jane Austen of being out of touch with even the young people of her day, nor can accuse humans of changing so much in 200 years. My favourite character. Now, this is a tricky one because there are, you know, a few, but I think I'd have to say Henry Tilney. He is really brilliant. I don't, I know I haven't talked about him a lot in this podcast, um, in this episode, but he is, I just, I, there is, you know, well, I suppose it's quite common nowadays, this, this idea of comfort characters. Wow. Just all the stuttering. Um, but Henry Tilney is one of those people that as soon as I read him, I, you know, I'm just, I'm calm. You know, he's just such a nice, calming kind of comforting presence to have around. He's, he's funny and he's jovial and he's just a bit of a good laugh. Um, my least favourite character, John Thorpe all the way. I mean, yes, Isabella is a vain brat with hardly any moral compass, but her brother is rude, unobservant, arrogant, presumptive, and just kind of all-round terrible, is, you know, unpolite to his mother, his sisters, telling them that they, you know, assuring them they all look very ugly, which is quite a, you know, in, in fairness, a, a funny bit in the book. But, you know, I mean, you know, and he he lies to get his own way and then excuses it at, oh, he's just terrible. You have to read it for yourself to truly understand the, the irritants that John Thorpe really bestows on people. But I've read it upwards of six times and yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't lessen any, no matter how many times you read it. It's a book I would recommend to anyone. In fact, on holiday a few years ago, I raved about it to the point that my grandfather, fellow book lover and all-round top egg, borrowed my copy and enjoyed it himself. And this is the other thing about I love about reading. While I am a firm believer that books are for everyone and not just something that is largely gender-specific, very few would think that a cricket-loving former social worker in his 70s would relate to a, a work like Northanger Abbey. But if we can all only read things that we relate to, then I don't want to see any non-murder-solving people reading Agatha Christie or watching Morse. And while no human in existence is perfect, I do unashamedly regard Jane Austen as a genius. Because her understanding of people, but like on a deeper than surface level, is inspired. And many good authors know how to tell a story about fake people. But I always get the sense from Jane, as I call her, <laughs> not a big deal, um, I always get the sense from her writing that she's just sat down and had tea with her characters as they've told her this story you know 
Elizabeth Bennet's just recounted Darcy's first proposal to her. Anne Elliot's just told her about first seeing Captain Wentworth for, you know, the first time. I get that impression that she's so involved with her own characters. And it makes it much more real because while we don't all get invited to Abbey's and proposed to my millionaires, nor we re-meeting sea captains that we spurned eight years earlier, she knows how to write normal human reactions to those things. Like, for instance, going to an Abbey, Catherine is a young, naive, over-imaginative girl who's been absorbed in gothic novels for the past like year, and so she accuses someone of murder. And, you know, that's... That, I, I mean... For a sheltered young person, a pretty logical jump. But even if it isn't, Jane Austen makes it feel like this is a perfectly reasonable next step. Because Catherine's examining the evidence that she's had. She's examining things that Henry said to her. She's examining the way that the the person she accuses is like. And she lets all of that form an assumption. It's a wrong and mental one, but nonetheless you can see where she's coming from. And Northanger Abbey shows that all great romance, all the great romances that have people falling into each other's arms or killing love rivals or what have you, isn't necessarily the greatest romance. And it gave me a sense of relief that while I do love a grand romance, I do love a bit of a sweeping gesture every now and then, I don't actually have to have that for myself. And I do, in fact, have a very lovely fella who does like to compliment me quite profusely but will also send me the stupidest memes you've ever seen to make me laugh. And he does. I would like to finish by reading another little bit from Northanger Abbey. This, this uh, bit's in chapter 10. And uh, Catherine has by now met Eleanor Tilney, uh, Henry's sister, but she's only met her very briefly and hasn't been able to talk to her as much as she'd like. And, you know, when you find out that the guy you have a crush on has a sister, you want to get in there, you know? Um, and so she and Isabella and her brother and, you know, her party have been at the pump room in the morning. And then she's spotted Eleanor come in. length, however, she was empowered to disengage herself from her friend by the avowed necessity of speaking to Miss Tilney, whom she most joyfully saw just entering the room with Mrs Hughes, and whom she joined instantly, with a firmer determination to be acquainted, that she might have the courage to command had she not been urged by the disappointment of the day before. Miss Tilney met her with great civility, returned her advances with equal goodwill, and they continued talking together as long as both parties remained in the room. And though in all probability not an observation was made, nor an expression used by either, which had not been made or used some thousands of times before under that roof in every bath season, yet the merit of their being spoken with simplicity and truth, and without personal conceit, might be something uncommon. How well your brother dances, was the artless exclamation of Catherine's towards the close of their conversation, which at once surprised and amused her companion. Henry, she replied with a smile. Yes, he dances very well. He must have thought it very odd to hear me say I was engaged the other evening, when he saw me sitting down. But I had really been engaged the whole day to Mr Thorpe. Miss Tilney could only bow. You cannot think, added Catherine after a moment's silence, how surprised I was to see him again. I felt so sure of his being quite gone away. When Henry had the pleasure of seeing you before, he was in Bath but for a couple of days. He had come only to engage lodgings for us. That never occurred to me, and, of course, not seeing him anywhere, I thought he must be gone. 
Was not the young lady he danced with on Monday a Miss Smith? Yes, an acquaintance of Mrs Hughes. I dare say she was very glad to dance. Do, do you think her pretty? Not very. He never comes to the pump room, I suppose. Yes, sometimes, but he has rid out with my father this morning. Mrs Hughes now joined them, and I asked Miss Tilney if she was ready to go. I hope I shall have the pleasure of seeing you again soon, said Catherine. Shall you be at the Cotillion Ball tomorrow? Perhaps we... Yes, I think we certainly shall. I'm glad of it, for we shall all be there. This civility was duly returned, and they parted, on Miss Tilney's side with some knowledge of her new acquaintance's feelings, and on Catherine's side without the smallest consciousness of having explained them. Thank you for listening to the first real episode of Fake Redhead Talking Fast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any opinions on this book, positive or critical, that you feel I should have taken notice of or maybe ignored, then please reach out at Redhead Fast Talk on Twitter. And you can also reach me on there if you have any ideas for other episodes of the podcast that you would like to hear me do. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening and I'll speak soon. Bye!